Welcome to the Dr. Bud Gill podcast. This is one that I am, uh, I've been really, really excited about, man. Uh, I got Sam Freibush here, who is uh, just a killer organ player. I mean, you're a multi-instrumentalist, but you know, organ, I think, is your main joint, I would say, yeah? Yeah, man. Yeah, so Sam uh, is down in North Carolina, he's in Greensboro, and uh, it just, it's one of these like social media stories. I actually saw a little post that Charlie Hunter had on his page, and it was on his Instagram story. It was, I think it was like a little clip of you guys playing like the stomp, stomp and buck dance or something like that. Yeah. And uh, it's like, wow. I was like, this, first of all, I, you know, I rarely see Charlie Hunter actually playing a guitar. So that, that was cool. Yeah. And six it, was just, it was so grooving. And then I just kind of went down the rabbit hole of checking out your page. And you guys have a, you guys have a YouTube video of that tune. I think it was one of the outtakes of that tune, which I've literally been binging on all week. <laughs> I downloaded your, your albums. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a, you just came out with an album where, you know, you're the headliner and it's a, it's a double album, which is just literally the best shit ever. Like organ trio is my, by far my favorite genre. Awesome. And uh, there's not a lot of new music in that in, in Oregon Trio stuff. And, uh, you know, when I happened upon your stuff and we reached out on Instagram, we connected this. And I, I just can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your Sunday, man, to be here with be here with me, man, on my podcast. Oh, man, my, my pleasure, bro. My pleasure. I appreciate all the, all the love and support, man. That's awesome that that you're digging the music. Yeah, it's funny. I like literally like, you know, I obsess over things. So like, you know, like I eat the same meals all the time, like literally every day. I, I listen to the same music like over and over again, <laughs> like all morning today. I was started listening to to Lonely Like Me. I was just kind of going through your album, and I've not stopped listening to it, like just oh, over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it's just God, it's so good, man. The oh, album is man. just so great, man. I appreciate that. That's awesome, man. And, and you know, so the selection. We're gonna. I kind of want to get into your backstory and all that stuff. But since since we're talking about the album, I mean, the selection of tunes you guys have for this album, it's like this crazy, like eclectic mix of like just the most soulful songs. Mm-hmm. How, how do you how do you put that together? Like, how do you decide like what tunes you're gonna play? Me and Charlie spent a couple a uh, couple weeks before the session uh, doing a bunch of pre production, just jamming together. One, I probably had a list of like forty songs, man, and we just kept narrowing them down, narrowing them down, and coming up with some uh, coming up with arrangements that felt unique to us, uh, unique to me, my style of playing, my my background, and uh, Charlie, of course, brought so many cool songs that I had never really heard, and that was the w- big thing about having him as a producer was he kind of like was like, oh, nah, that's not really working, or let's uh, try. Have you checked out this tune? And you know, so on and so forth. But the, like you said, the 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 repertoire that we picked for these records is really unique, and uh, there's a lot of hidden gems on there, um, songs that we cover and do our own thing with that. If you go back and listen to the original, you might be like, wow, this is, I never heard this song. I love this song, you know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, there is a lot of that. So uh, the other night I was listening to, um, let's give him something to talk about, which is that Bonnie Raitt tune. And yeah. uh, I go to a date night with my wife on Thursdays. We go for like an early date. We have three kids. So we, we, we like be like 530 and like, you know, we'll drink a little wine or whatever. You know, get home by like seven, hanging with the kids. And I was listening to it in my office. So I was like signing my notes for the day, like the, for the patients I saw. And I was listening to it, and uh, you know, again, I was just like listening to it over and over and over again. And then yeah. you know, I kind of segued from the wine into some scotch, and I was like really kind of getting really heavy into the music. And so I actually literally, I took a screenshot and I DM'd it. To, I DM'd it to Charlie, and yeah. uh, we just ended up like kind of going like back and forth. I mean, it was it's so good. It's just Thanks, so man. the grooves are like so deep, and it's just it. it 
I mean, there's so many layers to it. Like every time you hear it, so like you know, there's something there's something else to kind of grab, and it's it's amazing that it's, it's just a trio. Yeah, that, that's what I love about the organ. Um, I feel like it captures emotion so well. Like it captures right. happiness, it captures sadness, it, it captures just groove. Like you know, sometimes you just you can't stop moving because it's just so groovy. And it's really the only instrument that does that. It's, you know, it's just such a it's it's, uh, it's such an amazing instrument. It's, it's so complex and so so deep. Like when, when did you actually start? I imagine you probably started playing piano. When did that yes. kind of segue into like organ? Yeah. Well, yeah, the, it's very true that the organ is a is a super uh, dynamic instrument. It's it's very soulful. I mean, that combined with the Leslie, I mean, you can you go right to heaven when that thing starts spinning. Um, I got into the organ. I I played a lot of in, in blues bands in high school, and I would just play my Nord keyboard, but mostly organ stuff. Um, and like like you said, I was a, primarily a pianist um, up until then, and. I don't know. I guess it just, it was all, I always had an affinity for it. I always loved uh, the sound and the feel of it. Um, I grew up going to New Orleans as a lot as a kid, and, and a bunch of the clubs down there had Hammonds, and I would see guys that I idolized playing the Hammond. Um, and then in college, I found one on Craigslist, and uh, my dad helped me out with it. We moved it here in my studio, and that just kind of, uh, kind of just bloomed from there because you can't really practice Hammond with the foot pedals and all that uh, unless you have one, you know. Right. So There's it was not a lot of them. Yeah, and it was it was that it was actually getting one that kind of just took it from there. And then I went back to I was I was go- going to school in Boston at the time at the New England Conservatory of Music, and uh, I ended up kind of sneaking into some classes at Berkeley College of Music because there was no Hammond at the conservatory. So I had some friends who um, would take me over to Berkeley and I started taking classes with this uh, legendary gospel musician named Dennis Montgomery III. And uh, from there, it just kind of, it just kind of kept, kept growing. And um, I knew that it was something that I, that was unique. So you were taking like B3 lessons at Berkeley? So Dennis would had a class where he would uh it was a gospel organ technique class and he had some tech he had some uh exercises that there was like probably five or six Hammonds in the room. It was one room at Berkeley. Probably one room in all of Berkeley uh, all of Boston that had that many Hammond organs in it. And we'd just go and he'd play and you'd play a little bit from from for him. Um and then that those lessons actually got me a gig uh at a church in Massachusetts, um, and they had a Hammond organ, so that, you know, twice a week I would go play the Hammond at the church. Oh, that's crazy, though. That's, that's, that's amazing. But Berkeley is just such a, like, a, a powerhouse of, of musicians and, you know, just resources, man. I and mean, that's, that's, that's wild. Yeah, it was very cool. I mean, I, I ha- would run into issues all the time at the conservatory because they had one Hammond, but it was all the way in the basement, and they never... They really like the guys who moved the shit. Really, never wanted to take it out because it was such a pain in the ass. And like they had right. these small elevators and stuff. And so I was always jumping through hoops to try to use the Hammond at the conservatory. And um, at Berkeley, I wasn't even enrolled there. I would just sit in on the class. You know, that's cool, man. You know, I guess just taking it back and just kind of learning about your process and you know how how. You know, you just evolved as a musician. Your your parents are both musicians, right? Yeah. Yep. 
my dad is a jazz uh, clarinetist and among other things actually they're both folk musicians uh they moved to North Carolina in the in the 70s um kind of during this folk revival of of the Appalachian old time music and uh so I grew up with music deep deep you know folk music around me all the time they're professional musicians that's what they do as their career um they both have a uh they both uh, my dad uh, was a professional musician, but he's always done a lot of different other things. Um, right now, actually, he's in the medical field. He does uh, testing, so he's been doing some some COVID testing. And then uh, my mom is uh, a visual artist. Oh wow! Yeah. So, um, and so you guys, so you grew up like was when you were a kid. Does it just start with like piano lessons? Like, you know, how, yeah. How did you start? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I started. You know, from very young, um, I think I got my first drum set when I was five years old. Um, and I, shortly after, I was taking piano lessons at seven. Um, and at eight, I linked up with this um, guy named Tracy Thornton, who was actually a steel pan player in the area. And um, I just kind of became obsessed with the idea of playing the steel drum. So from the age of eight to 13, that that's primarily what I did with keyboard on the side. I had a little steel pan trio with my best friend who played the drums and uh, a bass player. And we were uh, kind of, you know, these little kids playing some cool music. So we did pretty well in our, in our region and people kind of dug it. And then, uh, you know, I joke around like that was the height of my career when I was 11 years old. <laughs> so you were pretty advanced. I mean, as a, as a you know young child, you know you were pretty advanced musically. I mean, imagine like in school, you were like the best musician. You know, like they kind of probably pulled you out of class. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it just came uh, um, from environment. You know, growing up, listen. You know, my dad is kind of a, a musicologist of sort, so just having those records around me all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in high school, I did go to a performing arts high school, and we were on a block schedule there. And we, you know, so for an hour and a half a day, I, I had a keyboard in front of me. Um, and that's actually where I, I think I got a lot of my technique together, which helped me, you know, to get into the conservatory and, and kind of move on to that next level. Um, but, you know, I still don't read music very well. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm, pr I'm, I really come from that school of, of, of just self-taught kind of folk music. Mm -hmm. Really? Like, I was thinking as like a piano player, like every keyboardist I know can read music like a, like a mofo. Oh yeah. I, I'm a guitar player. You know, yeah. I, can, I can read music, but not very well. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, maybe it's, I, it's not like, uh, I didn't try. Uh, I, I mean, I can read music, but I, I just never, uh. Put, put enough energy into right. being able to get that that stuff together so you always sounds like you always knew that you were going to be a musician you know from a young age like that was the career path that you were yeah on. i i really don't i really haven't had any uh plan b's or, or or don't think i had another option man i i got a lot of shit in me you so know? you when you so when you went to boston like what was that like compared to like going to a performing arts high school like you know was it just you know, oh man was, i got my ass kicked Man, Greensboro is kind of a small town, um, and uh, like you said, it was just like you know I just grew up playing all the time and, and kind of being that guy. And then when I got to Boston, um, I was at the New England Conservatory and just surrounded by kids my age who were Grammy band uh, jazz artists and 
uh, a lot of kids from your neck of the woods who are, I mean, just prodigies, uh, un- unbelievable musicians. So um, I was humbled very quickly. Do you guys like jam together? Is that, I mean, it's just it's been such a fertile ground for like, you know, being a yeah. musician. Yeah. I mean, it's very intense, man. It's, it's uh, the conservatory particularly is like, uh, you know, you'd walk down the hallway and you'd hear these, I mean, just monstrous music, uh, a lot of classical stuff. A lot, I mean, you know, people be, it just virtuosic stuff coming out of practice rooms. And so I, I spent a lot of time alone just trying to get my shit together. Um, Probably jazz. Was that like, was that your main focus? Yeah, I was a contemporary improvisation major, which is a kind of a unique program. Uh, it's a crossover between classical and jazz um it's called third stream it was started by this uh gunther schuler and taken over by Rand blake and it's uh it was the why i ended up going to the conservatory because uh it's it was a very like kind of international um unique program with not just focusing on on jazz i mean a lot of universities offered jazz, just jazz studies and the conservatory had this kind of weird middle ground program. Wow. So did you feel like you're, I mean, I, I guess it's hard. Did it take your playing to like a whole nother level? Like, Cause I imagine you were very advanced when you came, when you, when you got there. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, no, not at all. I, I was, I didn't, was not advanced when I got there. And I, I definitely think that the four, those four years I spent, um, helped me a lot. For sure. And, and you just graduated like three years ago, I guess three and a half years ago, right? 2017? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I graduated in uh, on spring of 2017. So, so then what happens? Like, so how do you start like making money and like <laughs> having a life as a musician? So I spent um, a lot of summers afterwards uh, working pretty heavily in wedding bands in the area. Um, New England is kind of a destination wedding area. So, we did pretty well, and, and that was really fun because there were so many great musicians in Boston, um, and the wedding bands were a crossover between all whoever was around, you know, graduated students, Berkeley students, NEC students. So we had a lot of fun doing that. You know, we'd travel all over the area um, almost every weekend, and that was good money. And then I'd play um, church, which I was telling you about, on Sunday yeah. mornings. So um, that I was just kind of a weekend warrior, man. I'd play... Sometimes a wedding on Friday, almost always a wedding on Saturday till two or three in the morning and then drive, maybe get a couple hours of sleep, wake up and play Sunday morning and wow. uh, then just take it easy. And I had a couple students during the week and um, yeah, I mean, as, as far as I can remember, that was, that was the routine, but it, it, it worked, you know, yeah. for, for a while. And then you, you, how long were you in Boston for after you graduated? I was there, uh, I want to say at, at least through, uh, the summer of eight, 2018. So it was a good, it was a, a solid year after I graduated. Yeah. And then you moved to New Orleans after that? Yeah. And then I moved to New Orleans that fall. Um, I just kind of was done with the cold and, and the college town and was ready for a change. And, um, I had some really strong roots in New Orleans. My uncle lived there. My brother lived, was going to school there. I've been, you know, I've been going there since I was a kid. And uh, I just thought it was time, you know. Um, most of my friends were moving to New York City. And uh, I just didn't want to do that. So 
I, I made the plunge. So how long did it take you to get integrated into the New Orleans music scene? Did, I mean, did you already have gigs lined up when you went down there, or you had to start from scratch? Um, no, I, I got a church gig down there pretty much off the bat, which was really, really helpful just to bring some income in and to meet some, meet some great uh, musicians in the scene. Actually, that, uh, that, the first year that I, I moved to New Orleans, I was at, played at Jazz Fest uh, in the gospel tent with my church band. And oh, wow. actually, in in the jazz tent with uh, this group that I um, joined when I moved there, called the Swamp Donkeys, led by James Williams, the trumpet player in New Orleans. So uh, I just got lucky that kind of, you know, New Orleans is a very, uh, you, you know, you get to sit in a lot. Yeah. And um, you know, you sit in and you be cool, and stuff starts to happen. Yeah, I love New Orleans, man. I went to college at Atlanta. Uh, I went to Emory. We used to go down to New Orleans all the time. So we used to go to Jazz yeah. Fest every year. And it, it was just just the best, man. It's just such a great town for music. Oh, absolutely. You know, sister, I think uh, I think you know Melvin Seals plays, or you probably know. I'm pretty you're probably very familiar with him. Yeah, I think Jerry Garcia found him. He was playing for like a church in San Francisco or something like that. Oh yeah, that sounds. I, I don't know the exact story, but I, yeah. I, it sounds exactly right. Yeah, Absolutely. so I guess the church is like a big thing for organ players, man. You know, it's a fertile, fertile ground. Yeah. You know? Absolutely, one hundred percent. It's not to be overlooked. I mean, the uh, the black church has been ha- has had in Hammond organ for yeah. uh, a long time, and and um, some of the best organists in the world uh, come grew up in that. So, are there like standard tunes, or like you know, because a lot of it's improvisation too, right? Where you're playing like a organ in the church band, like you're kind of just backing the pastor up a little bit, you know. Um, oh yeah, there's a there's a vast repertoire, but yeah, one of the things I always talk about why I love it so much is that it's it's very intense improvisation. It's one of the deepest uh, improvising uh, experiences that I, that I'm still involved with now because it's just uh, so quick moving. You're always on your toes, always on your feet. Um, you're switching between keys all the time, and um, it's taken me a long time just to be able to keep up with it because I I didn't grow up in in the church and. Um, yeah, it's it's very it's very cool, very awesome, um, but that that's one of the things that I think I was attracted to from the beginning because I, I have a I love to improvise, um, and that is uh, kind of the root of church music for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you can hear it; you can just hear it in your playing too, man. It, you know, you're basically taking us taking us to church throughout the whole, throughout the whole album. <laughs> um, cool. So obviously, COVID, you end up, you're back in uh, North Carolina. You know, yep. everyone's world kind of shut down and. You know, a lot of folks retreated to their home base just to get through this crazy time. Does Charlie live in Greensboro? Yeah, man. He lives five minutes away from me. Uh, he moved here a couple years back. And I had been he- hearing these rumors, um, you know, hey, Charlie Hunter moved to Greensboro, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, cool. That's awesome. You know, but I, I uh, never would have expected that this whole COVID situation would have uh, brought us so, you know, brought us together and, and you know, we're very close now, and so it's it's very cool, very cool thing. So so how so how did it happen, man? Like, how did you guys connect? Um, I there's a young group here in town, um, called Reliably Bad, and their guitar player is a friend of mine. Um, we also play old time fiddle music together, and he he him and Charlie had been working together on because he's a guitar player, so Charlie been helping him out a little bit, and he. Told Charlie, hey, you got to come meet my friends, the Frybush Brothers. So Charlie came over to our spot and uh, started jamming with us. And it was uh, at this time where Charlie 
um, you know, at the begin- beginning of COVID, he was getting really into playing drums. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I saw this. He's posted on Instagram a lot. Yeah. Yeah, he's become an amazing drummer. And, and it's all kind of like taken shape over the last, you know, 10 months or so. So it started with him playing drums and me playing organ um, and Jimmy playing guitar and my brother playing saxophone. So we just, excuse me, we, we were just, uh, we would just jam, you know, uh, a couple times a week. Uh, and that's, you know, where it started and to the point where, you know, um, it's kind of like, so when Charlie asked me to play guitar, when he said he would play guitar on the, on the organ trio record, I was like, yes, that, that's great. You know, cause playing guitar with him is just amazing. I mean, we, it's just, it opens up. I yeah. just feel like I can go anywhere with that. You know, I, I, you know, I, I've listened to Charlie Hunt. I listened to Charlie like, you know, back in like the nineties, I used to, you know, I was like super into it. He had like that one reggae album that, yeah. uh, you know, Not I, I got like, super into. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've actually never heard him play guitar. Like actually, I mean, like on Instagram, he would post every now and then, but it was, you know, it wasn't like, uh, a, I've never heard him play like a lo- long format, like, you know, like a whole tune. And, uh, he's a really fucking good guitar player, man. It's <laughs> oh, really good. It's insane. I mean, yeah, I, I think that is, uh, it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's a very unique point uh, about this record, uh, you know, marketing point. And, and interesting that it's Charlie Hunter on six-string guitar, regular old six-string guitar. Yeah. And um, like you said, it's very rare. He, he, he very rarely does that. Um, and he just plays his butt off. I mean. Oh, it's so good. And to him, he always he's just saying, oh, man, this is so fun. This is so easy. I don't even have to think, you know. Um because he's usually playing that crazy hybrid yeah um the other unique thing that kind of happened was i got you know we ended up cutting two songs from the, the um from voodoo d'angelo's record yeah uh, we, we we recorded spanish joint and the root yeah which um you know to those who don't know charlie plays on those original recordings he plays hybrid on the on the original recording of spanish joint and um he's a co-writer on the root uh, he actually wrote, you know, most of that song besides the lyrics. So, and that just, the way that happened was very organic. Um, we weren't even planning to cut the root. We just kind of were jamming on it at the recording session. And the first take is, is what you hear. Um, oh, wow. But it's been very cool because that's kind of like, I don't, you know, Charlie doesn't really talk about D'Angelo or that whole experience very much. So it's it's brought a little bit of, of life back into that, you know, that that record that came out, uh, Voodoo, you know, 21 years ago has, has changed the game for a lot of musicians. I mean, it's yeah. an iconic record for my generation. So it's yeah, just kind of, I kind of pinch myself. It's it's really a dream come true. It's and it's hard to even fathom that you know Charlie was on that session, and and you know here he is just record hanging out and playing music with me it's it's very cool man yeah he's an og man that album is is great you know there's um there's a version that d'angelo does of cruising it's like this live version you know yeah that's one of the songs i literally would obsess over i'd like probably listen to that on repeat like for like you know i don't know months on end it's it's just he's so good oh yeah so soulful it's so good so so let's kind of get into the album a little bit man so so you guys were basically I mean, it must be amazing for Charlie to have amazing musicians in town. It's like, you know, you guys, it just, 
lends itself, especially this time where everyone's basically not doing anything. No one's on the road. Yeah. And really kind of lends itself to just, you know, this project. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I, want, I, I do want to kind of get into, like, how you guys actually picked these songs. Um, sure. So you said you had, like, a list of, you had a list of 50 tunes. What's the process? You know, so, like, you guys, because all of these recordings are, like, old school recordings. You guys are just all playing together, right? They're not tracks. Yeah. Like, there's no overdubbing. There, There's no splicing. I mean, it's all live taped. I mean, you know, we maybe did, uh, I mean, if it, it after three takes, it was, we're moving on, you know. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah so, and, so talk to me how you run through this. How do you get from, like, 40 songs? I think there's what, like, uh, you got seven, seven tunes on Riverboat and there's yeah. eight tunes on The Root, right? Yep, yep. Uh, how you know? Basically, we just for about a week. It, it really wasn't that long. I, I was just in kind of like obsessive pre-production mode. I had three or four different playlists going on Spotify. Um, you know, just trying to narrow down. You know what I wanted. Um, and it's a very complicated, interesting thing because it's it's like all it's representing you and your sound. Yeah. So that's the interesting thing about making a cover record. Um, and, but what I did know was that it was going to be an organ trio, which, which makes everything kind of unique. Um, and even more so I had Charlie on my, you know, who was going to help me arrange this stuff. So, you know, there were certain things we knew we wanted to have, you know, some shuffles. We, we knew that we needed, we wanted a swing tune. We wanted a boogaloo groove. We wanted a new Orleans street beat. We wanted, uh, um, you know. Uh, a ballad or two, you know, so these are the kind of things that we just started narrowing it down, um, you know, and that, that's how it just, that's how it took shape. And then I don't think any of us were expecting that the session to go as well as it did. I mean, we did it in two days and, you know, there's basically nothing that we cut from the, from, from the release. I mean, it was like, we were just all so locked in and having so much fun, and the, and the music and the vibe was so good. It didn't make sense to be like, ah, that doesn't make it, you know. Um, it was. It's pretty. It's pretty unique. So, what what about one of the my all time favorite tunes is that Billy Preston tune you guys have on here? Oh uh, yeah, is, it's such a grooving song. Um, yeah, but you put three versions of. There's like three versions of it on the album. There's like you know the, the yeah. I guess the real take, and then there's like two I guess outtakes but they're also different like they're, they're like drastically different versions of the same song yeah man that 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 is a uh, really interesting how that happened because uh uh we did it as a cup the first the first original idea was to do it as a shuffle which is the first take so it's billy preston's so we'll go around in a circle in a shuffle with a shuffle vibe and uh and then the other two takes that you hear on there were just outtakes of jam i mean they if there was anything that wasn't going to make the record, it was going to be those, actually. We left the session being like, okay, those are a little too just kind of wild. But um, after listening back when we were doing post-production, we were like, wow, these kind of have a vibe, you know? And and the rest of the record is very kind of, you know, there's there's some really nice ballads on there and some cinematic stuff, and those two tunes kind of bring back some energy, you know? So that's why we threw them back on there. Um, and I think they both kind of started with Jeff Clapp, the drummer, just start, just playing a groove. He just kind of was like, hey, check this out. 
and we just jumped in off of that. Yeah, he's a beast, man. He's so good. It's like just it's so in the pocket, man. All you guys, all three of you guys are just so in the pocket. But he's a he's a local guy. He's a local yeah. Greensboro guy. He's from here. Yeah, he's from this area. Um, I I had never met him before. He actually lived in New Orleans for a long time and was a was a heavy staple of the community down in New Orleans. Um, he's very he's well known and respected and and worked with some of the greatest some great New Orleans drummers. Um, and so he actually recently just moved to Texas with his girlfriend, uh, which is kind of sad because he's not around anymore, but it's cool. And he, so when he came into town for the holidays, uh, that's when we made the record. But he's currently not, not around right now. So he, he came up to, I guess, visit his family, and then you, you guys picked him up for the, for the record, huh? Yeah. You know, we, I said, hey, man, when are you coming up? Oh, I'm going to be here, blah, 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 blah. I said, all right, well. You want to come in the studio with me and Charlie? Said, Hell yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. Wow. So it looks like, I mean, those, those outtakes you have on YouTube, um, are those, yeah. that's the actual studio? Where yeah. You recorded it? Yeah. Yep. So it looks like a living room, man. It looks like you guys yeah. are like in someone's living room. Yeah, we are. We are. It's a home studio in High Point, North Carolina. Uh, Stephen Price uh, was the engineer. And uh, man, we mixed the two on the spot, which means that basically we, all the, Mixing was recorded down to to a single track, you know, the on the on the second day, or basically as we were going, Stephen was mixing. But I mean, the whole process was just so streamlined, and he has a uh, a beautiful, warm Neve console, and um, like you said, we were all in the same room, and it was uh, yeah, Stephen's incredible. So, and his wife Kate was the one who shot all the videos. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I mean, there's like. And we did all, like I said, we did all this in two days. Recorded 16 tracks and, and a music video and some, some B-roll footage. So I wish I had a little bit more footage to, to share with everyone. Yeah. But, but um, you know, that's, that's just how, how it goes. And so we're just trying to cut it up and, you know, stretch it out a little bit. How, how loud is it in, to get in that room? Oh, I mean, it's it wasn't it's not very loud. I mean, the loudest thing is the drums. You know, yeah. Char- Charlie was cranking it uh, at times. He, had, he was playing this old 1966 Mustang uh, Fender Mustang, which was pretty sweet. And uh, oh, that wasn't that, an Epiphone. That yeah, the Epiphone the Epiphone was the main guitar he was using. The hollow body Epiphone with Grant Green style, and then the yeah. Um, but for some of kind of the funkier stuff, he he jumped on the Mustang. Um, which tunes was he using that on? A lot of those Will It Go Round outtakes. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, on Stomp and, Stomp and Buck Dance. Okay. Um, and maybe a couple more, I can't remember. And the Leslie was just uh, was uh, on the other side of this uh, isolation booth, but it wasn't completely isolated. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't very, very loud in the room, actually. Like I said, the drums were the loudest yeah. thing. Do you guys all have the same mix in your headphones? Um, no, we could control our headphone mix. We can control our headphone mix a little bit. Was that that little console that's in front of you guys, like on the video? There's like this little gray console that each of you guys have. Yep, yep. And then there's a microphone in front of me, which was like my talkback microphone, um, just to you know communicate to the guy. I don't think I I barely used it. Um, and those guys are just so, so they're just pros, man. They're veterans. Yeah. And they they just, I th- I saw- 
on sorry man, sorry to cut you off. On that YouTube video, it's like an outtake of Stomp and Buck Dance. Yeah. It's at the like the very end of the song. And like, you know, you guys are like, you that that that's actually not on the album that version of it is not on the album right correct yep that's right. just a live version that we, yeah. you know at the end of charlie, the session charlie was playing that epiphone in, in that version right where he pops the string he pops his b string yep yep so at the end of the tune you got you know you're basically ending the tune and like you know you're on the one which was like i think it's the songs like b flat minor or something like that and then you call out the four and like you know, then, yeah. you know the, the Charlie's doing whatever is like run on there. Then you, I think I, I forget what the next chord was. And then you do like you go like this. You put your hand up. Yeah. You guys hit on the one like five times to end the song. Yeah. But it's cool. I love seeing that stuff in video because it's amazing how because it's when you're listening to it. If you're just listening to the audio, it just sounds like okay, these guys. That's what they rehearsed. That's what they're doing to end it. Yeah. But when you actually see the video, you see that's actually happening in real time. And like you know. As a guitar player, like it's just like Charlie's runs are like insane, you know. Like, yeah, it's just so cool to see that all happening on the fly, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. and imagine the whole album was like that. Oh man, yeah, I I appreciate you digging it, man. It, it, exactly. I mean, we uh, no, for the sake of that video, like you said, it's not the it's not the recording that's on the record. So that was just like we were like, okay, we just want to take one live video. Let's pick a tune. So we so we just launched into that, and um. Yeah, man, I, I, I just have a very improvising spirit, and so do those guys. I mean, we were just, um, we stayed very loose. I mean, you can hear that all over the record. I mean, it's very loose. It's not, it's not perfected. It's not clean. It's just uh, three guys in a room making music. That's just what's so beautiful about it, man. You know, I, when I was in college, I took this, there was a jazz class that we all took, you know, and it was an amazing class, and I always loved jazz. I always loved music. You know, I kind of grew up like really into the dead and you know, I love like oh, classic rock and you know, I got really sort of into jazz towards the end of high school. But I remember like the jazz teacher, he would give us like songs that we'd have to listen to, you know. So the, one of the songs was The Sermon, you know, this is Jimmy, you know, Jimmy Smith. This was like Jimmy Smith, Art Blakey and Kenny Burrell and like a whole bunch of other amazing artists. And it's like, the, you know, it's a, for folks who aren't familiar, it's like literally a 20 minute long song. Like It's just this never ending song. Which is so good though. Everyone takes like you know a bunch of you know verses for the for the solo. It's it's just incredible. And, that, and I really got obsessed with the organ after after that. I got obsessed with like Jimmy Smith, then like you know Dr. Lonnie Smith, and being in New York on Tuesday nights is a place called Smoke. I'm sure you've probably been there um, on the Upper West Side of the city. Um, and actually, they had an organ night, so Tuesdays was organ night, and yeah. you'd go for happy hour, and then you could stay through the night. And it was like you know Peter Bernstein on guitar and like all right. these amazing organ players yeah um and it's just there's just something about organ trio that really just like hits you in the soul man man. like it just like really just hits you and it's what's amazing about it and and i think this album captures it so well it's literally it's three musicians but like the interplay between the musicians and just like that actual instrumentation with the organ because you're covering all the bass and just like it's just so the depth of it is just that's a, it's amazing, and then the, you know the the tone that Charlie's tone was like really very Grant Greenish, just kind of cutting through, you know the the warmth of the organ, and then the drummer is just it's so good, man. It's just so fucking good. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you're nailing it. You're nailing it. it it's uh, it's I love I love the that interacting with those mu- just two other musicians. I mean, it's it's so deep. You can really just listen and lock in with. When, it, when it's only that many musicians um, and coming from a folk background for me it just feels like 
it just feels like I'm I'm at it, you know, just in the in the living room jamming some you know some folk music, some Moroccan music, some old time music, you know, whatever it is. It's just like it's very just kind of earthy and soulful. So any of these any of these tunes, did you have to like learn any of them? Like was like say like your Jeff or Charlie, like hey man, let's do uh, let's give him something to talk about. Like you would never think of that as like an organ song, you know, like. Yeah, that one. Uh, I knew that I wanted to have a cover that and that people would kind of recognize. So that's that tune for for us on the on the this record. Um, also, you know, Bonnie Raitt's a good friend of Charlie's, and it's a great oh, really? tune. Yeah, it's a great tune, and uh, and this and we kind of put like a old like a, a classic organ feel oh, yeah. on it, which is the the yeah. boogaloo ride cymbals thing. Um, so, uh, and you don't even know what it is at the beginning, you know, because there's like a little vamp in the beginning of that song. Yeah. And then like, it starts the head and you even like the beginning of the head, you're like, okay, okay. And then like, you hear it, you know, you actually hear it in like that, like the second part of like that, you know, the first line, you're not, you, you, you can kind of place a little bit, but there's like one particular part of like yeah. the first verse where like, oh yeah, that's what this song is. You know? Yeah. Awesome, dude. Yeah. I, I um. I remember there was a couple of melodies that I was working out in the studio, just making sure that I had a, like uh, on. We did this switch tune called "There'll Never Be," and switch was is an old kind of uh, underground funk band led by uh, Bobby DeBarge. His brother went on later to form the group uh, DeBarge. Yeah, El yeah. DeBarge. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there'll never be. I remember. Um, Charlie was supposed to play the, mel- the melody on the verse, and then in the studio we we switched it. So I spent you know maybe ten minutes making sure <laughs> I knew the melody. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, like I said, I I, I uh, spent about a week preparing, just making sure that I was in a good place to to play at a high level. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, you really had to know these songs inside and out, and like just some of them, I mean, they're all. It, it just it becomes very complex. Like your the arrangements actually, even though they're like like a simple like rock tune, for instance, but that but it's not that. It's like yeah, the the arrangements are really complex. And when there's one particular the song that I was obsessed on this morning, uh, uh, was that Gap Band tune? Yeah, lonely like me. Yeah, lonely like me. So that yeah. I, I love that because. Charlie plays like the verse, but you pick up the bridge, like yep. you know when you guys are playing through the head. How do you guys decide that? Like, does it just happen organically, or, or are you like, okay, you take the verse, I'll take the bridge, and then we'll go into the solos, you know? Yeah, I, I, I gotta be honest, dude. It's very, it was very organic and just um, extreme. I mean, extremely. Charlie is extremely musical, um, and we there's just no there's no second guessing and and weird dynamic it was just like yeah that sounds good boom 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 kept we and kept moving like that you know so it's that e- it was that easy huh yeah i, I mean it, it's really it was an interesting moment where kind of the stars aligned working with steven at his studio getting jeff to play drums the the, the mindset that jeff was in he was in a really good place charlie me or the organ trio the repertoire all those things I really feel like were just kind of fell into place um, at a good time. Do you guys think, like, once COVID is over, that there might be like a, a, a live version of this, like a road version? I would love, I would love that. 
I would love to take it on the road. Um, I think both these guys would be down, but I also, but they're also, you know, uh, almost twice my age and have a, and, you know, have families and, and stuff. And so, um, we'll see what happens, man. I, I enjoy being a sideman and freelancing and, and playing with other artists too. So, um, I'm just ready to get out there and play for people in whatever capacity. Yeah. Are you doing a lot of studio stuff now? Like, you know, recording parts and things like that, or I guess remote production of music? Yeah. Yep. That's primarily what we're doing now. Um, doing a lot of producing and engineering and, and recording parts for people and um, working on some of our own music. Yep. Is your brother like a professional musician as well? Yes. Yeah. yeah. My younger brother, uh, his name's Eli. He plays the saxophone and he's a great producer as well. And so he would kind of run a small, you know, production label here where we work with different artists in the area. We probably work with half a different artist um, and make music for them and record them here and write with them. And so uh, we stay pretty busy doing that. That's great, man. It's good to be busy this in these times, man. So it's, it's, I'm glad to hear that you guys are able to keep busy. Yeah, I feel very lucky for sure. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so what in terms of like finding this? So I downloaded it from your website. You can go to the samfrybush.com and you can download this the album. Is it going to be on Spotify or the, uh, you know, some of the streaming stuff? Yeah, yeah, actually, um, just working that stuff out now. But it looks like uh, the official release date for all streaming services will be uh, March fifth. Oh wow! So yeah. how does that work? How how how, does, how do you even get it on there? Uh, they were going through a distribution, uh, site called the orchard that Charlie is, uh, linked with. And, um, we, I, I did a bunch of data entry. I mean, everything we've done is with this record has just been extremely, uh, DIY. I mean, luckily, you know, yeah. Charlie, Charlie has over 90,000 followers on Instagram. So that is helpful. Um, but, uh, there's no record label. There's no, you know, Pub, you know, PR or marketing or anything. Oh, we're just putting this thing out there. You know, I'm still a young cat, and and it's yeah. it's all good. Uh, so the distribution company will um get the get the products out to Apple Music and Spotify and all that stuff. That's awesome. I just I just dumped those wave files into my Apple into my Apple Music, man. That's how that's how I listen to it. Perfect. Um, and it'll be up on Bandcamp as well. Um, cool for next. Friday, which is uh, they're waiving the fees, so I'm I'm getting up there before then. Oh, that's great, man! That's yeah. awesome. Well, I mean, I I, I gotta any, anyone who loves jazz, who loves the organ trio stuff. I mean, you, I just got to check out this album, man. It's it's really it's a it's a real, it's a real throwback, but with a modern twist. I guess that's that's the that's the best way to say it. But you guys are like really just old souls, man. I mean, really, just this thing could have been recorded in like the '60s. Oh man, cool. I dig it. Appreciate yeah, that. But so, where can folks find you, man? Where uh, where where should people find you, man? Yeah, like you said, samfrybush.com is great, man. It, it's uh, that is my current website, and uh, I'm gonna keep it updated. It's it's pretty new, so go check that out. There's some cool stuff on there. You can check out my YouTube page, which has um, the live video of the session, a couple other cool things on there, um, and Facebook and Instagram. My Instagram is fly underscore fry, as in frybush, F R I. And, um, yeah, just, you know, pushing this thing pretty hard, trying to make as much sales as we can before it goes live on the streaming services. And then, uh, then I'll get back to just kind of jamming on there and 
and uh, having some fun. Yeah, I love it. We're definitely going to do our part to get, to get the word out, man. People need to hear this album. It's, it's really, really incredible. Thank you, man. Um, just one last thing, man, before before I let you go. Um, so a big, a big uh, sort of theme of my podcast and sort of my platform in general is you know, hustling and grinding towards goals and like the empowerment that you get with that. And, you know, um, but what a lot of folks see is the finished product. So like folks will listen to this album and be like, wow, this is amazing. Um, but the, like probably the hundred thousand hours of effort and practice and stuff that you did to be able to perform at such a high level with such an exceptional group of musicians. Mm. Um, you know, and for you, it's probably, you know, it's, you would love playing music, obviously, but there's also a lot of hard work that has to go into that. You know, I'm sure there were many times in your life where it, it was a drag, like we're just practicing stuff and it's really hard. Um, but in order to grow, you have to go through, you know, all those, all that, all that hardship and that practice and burning that midnight oil. Can, can you, would you mind just like, saying a few words about that yeah sure uh i mean i could talk about this for hours um uh but uh you know it's a very it's a very challenging business um to be in the music industry and um you know you have to keep you have to keep those two things separately unfortunately uh, separate unfortunately you have to keep your creative mind and the business aspect separate in a lot of ways and I'm very young I, I still don't have a lot of experience with it but um, kind of to the point that you said I will say that you have to fail to, in order to get better you know I mean there's a million times that I fell on my face when I was in college and luckily college is a good time to do that but I never would have made the gains and this, you know if, if it wasn't for that if it wasn't for those learning from experiences um I think we're in a pretty interesting time now, obviously, with uh, the cell phones and the way technology has gone. I mean, I may be one of, you know, in that last generation that really grew up playing gigs. I mean, cutting my teeth in the bar, passing around the tip bucket, uh, playing for hours and hours, you know, in New Orleans here, you know, here on Green in Greensboro and stuff like that. Um, and it's just going to be interesting to see how that the next wave now now paying your dues and cutting your teeth is you know how many tiktok videos you got until you you know reach 10,000 followers or whatever so it's just interesting um i feel lucky to to have uh you know to have mentors who are older you know guys who have really especially in this when it comes to music you know you you can't buy experience and you, you can't learning from guys who've who've done this their whole life it is really special. That's that's so well said, man. You know, the, the these all things like I talk about a lot on my on my page, you know, the, the power of mentorship, um, you know, yeah. basically failing your way to success, which means you're growing. You know, you you're not gonna fail if you stay in your comfort zone. And a lot of like what you do is taking a chance, you know, and you can hear it all, you can hear it all over this album. I mean, you guys, but you guys, everything was executed amazingly well, man. And, right. uh, and, and look, and we left the mistakes in there, man. Yeah. I'm a big believer that, you know, perfection is overrated. And, and I think that, um, you know, people want, that's what I love about this record is that it feels like you're sitting in the living room, you know, hanging out with us. It's not, it's not quantized. It, it's not, you know, mistakes are there. You don't have to look hard to find them. I, I, I didn't hear any, man. I gotta listen a little harder now. 
<laughs> hey, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for spending your a little bit of your afternoon with us, man. And uh, you know, I think I just can't wait to see you live, man. That's uh, I, I, when you roll through New York. I'm there. Oh man, my pleasure. You seem like a great guy, man. It, it was really nice talking to you. Love it, man. <laughs>